Hello, welcome back to the New History Podcast. We're on episode 12 today. Uh, it's myself joined by Lily, as usual. Hello. And today we've got our special guest, Jackson, with us. Hi, guys. It's excited to be here. And thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for joining us. Uh, <clears throat> so today we'll be talking about totalitarianism, uh, which Jackson is something of an expert on, I believe. Um, so... Jackson, if you'd like to introduce yourself and your background, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, hi, guys. Um, I'm, I'm Jackson from History of Jackson, if you've seen me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Uh, I do YouTube videos where I talk about history, uh, basically from any era. But uh, at heart, I'm a specialist on totalitarianism. I really love the theory, the history, and looking it in, into different totalitarian regimes. And I've, I've got a book Probably it would have been released by the time the podcast episode yeah. come out, yep. but it's called <laughs> The Crystallization of Totalitarianism, how the 1953 Conference on Totalitarianism defined the term. So I really love the theory yeah. and I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. Awesome. And uh, and just as a <laughs> as a fun story, guys, this is actually the second time we record this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so we are we are very thankful that Jackson I agreed to come back. Last time we had a wonderful talk, but um, our dear recording bot Craig just wasn't having a good day. And for some reason, just the recording just didn't really pan out. So um, yeah. this is part two, and we're hoping that it's just as good as, as it was the first time. So um, yeah, thanks thanks a lot, Jackson, again, for, for actually coming and <laughs> doing this all over. <laughs> no, no worries. I enjoyed the last time, so I'm more than happy to talk again. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well. Um, Obviously, and, and just for the people who, who may be at home and may not be entirely familiar with what we're talking about, um, I was wondering if, if we could start with um, sort of a brief introduction and an outline of, of what totalitarianism is, um, just in the broader sense of things, just so that everyone can sort of uh, be, be uh, in, in the same mental space than, than the rest of us. So could you could you do the honours? Yeah, of course. So um, totalitarianism is kind of this this big beast of the 20th century, the uh, the the spectre that dominated the the 1930s, probably to about 1950s, and so on. Um, so there's many different theories as to what totalitarianism is. Uh, one such is that if a person believes that the place that they're living in, the society, the country, under the, the regime is totalitarianism or totalitarian and it is totalitarian um, and then there's another school of thought which uh, I've written about which gives clear defined features as to what a totalitarian regime is now these come from Carl J Friedrich and Zbigniew K Brzezinski uh, and these two kind of outlined it in six characteristics so one was that the regime had an official body of doctrine that supported it and covered every detail of life, which kind of functioned as a, a set of rules for society. So these would be, you know, uh, Hitler's Mein Kampf, uh, Communist Manifesto, Stalin's Foundations of Leninism, or Mao Zedong's quotations from Chao Mao Tse-sung, which is the little red book, really. Uh, the second will be the presence of a single mass party, such as the Nazi Party, Communist Party, and so on. Uh, the third would be a monopoly of arms. 
and the second uh, fourth would be monopoly and communications uh, and a secret police and then a centralized uh, economic model so that would be things like five-year plans and so on uh, but there's there's various different theories around that but the Friedrich and Brzezinski one is the one that I've kind of I've, I've stayed around more in my research excellent well i mean not not excellent in the sense of obviously this is quite a a, a grim um or dark area to be talking about but um it's i think it's it's funny um how these two sort of school of thoughts interact with each other how how we can go from having some very defined sets of rules and then some other people going like well you know if, if you think you live in a totalitarian regime then you live in a totalitarian regime like how how do we even get to that stage um and that flexibility could you could you run us through that development yeah so it's it's kind of a difficult one really um because in one sense you need clear lines just to say actually this is totalitarianism this is this is not authoritarianism this is not an authoritative leader this is not autocracy or a dictatorship this is something other this is something where not certain things get away with everything's controlled by the state and everything's watched by the state and you kind of need so certainly in my opinion is you need defining characteristics that set it apart because other, otherwise you'll get what we had last year of people mm -hmm. sitting there saying well trump's a totalitarian oh he's not he's, <laughs> <laughs> he was he was elected uh, he got kicked out by an election. He's not a totalitarian. Um, so that's that's where these kind of where that's where I feel that categories are needed. Yeah. Um, but then on the other hand, who am I to deny the experience of say a Belarusian who mm -hmm. who who turns around and says, you know, I live in a totalitarian regime. I live under a totalitarian government uh, under Alexander Lushenko. Because yeah. I can't say no. I can't say, well, actually, you're not. Because there's, these lines are blurred and we don't always know what's happening within. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where I feel these, these characteristics come in to stop certain people being labelled as totalitarians when they're just not. And it's abundantly clear they're not. But also, mm -hmm. there's that blurred line of saying, you know, I'm not going to deny mm -hmm. your experience because I can't. What do you think on the... Uh... You know the idea that the definition of the term comes from actual everyday usage versus coming out of academia you know that might change things over time or that's basically that blurred line you're talking about yeah well the, the problem is is that academia used to be so open um and it used to play such a massive part in the way that we see the world but now academia has become more closed uh, and, and this information is not so readily available so for example for example i bought um oh i, I got the totalitarianism the conference um and totalitarian dictatorship and autocracy by friedrich and brzezinski and they're like 50 quid books mm. um and david d roberts new book on totalitarianism is about 12 quid um now this is not you know 12 quid's isn't too much but this is not accessible information this isn't yeah. stuff that's on your shelves in waterstones um which is where most people go for their books um and if you have more readily accessible media that is free such as podcasts and so on um that 
rely upon a certain group for their listenership and these group and these these websites are saying well that's totalitarian that's totalitarian they're just going to get that colloquial understanding of what it is um and because universities are being you know sidelined from media because people don't want to listen to experts and because the information is not so readily available then you don't get that interaction of saying actually we need to reevaluate what we're saying colloquially is totalitarianism and yep. actually understand what it actually is which is an authoritarian leader right um, and what about that <clears throat> that uh, difference between totalitarianism and authoritarianism you know, they I was obviously just gonna, get conflated a lot i was uh, just going to ask about that because obviously we've you've mentioned you know that there is totalitarianism but we've said things like authoritarian dictatorship etc etc and, and i think at least from my experience i find that a lot of people um just uh, they they just struggle to separate one from the other i don't know if it's because they all implicate some form of you know a, a negative regime right that one that most yeah. most people in in this world don't want to be part of but just just because you are on 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 one end of the spectrum i, I always kind of try to explain it that way you know just just because you are on on one of those areas it doesn't necessarily mean you're during all of those areas you can have an authoritarian leader that isn't exactly a dictator um as much as that right. may not be you know apparent from yeah. from from first perspectives um so yeah could could you navigate or or help us demystify that the relationship between those three concepts yeah, well the the key word for me is within totalitarianism is that total that mm -hmm. totality of the system um it it seeps into every single place every single part every single facet of people's lives totalitarianism is in your living room it's in your kid's bedroom down the corridor um it's in the schools it's in the universities at your workplace there's no there's nowhere to hide um and 1984 really, by Orwell, really demonstrates that as, you know, even in your sleep, you're not safe. And that's 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 the difference between totalitarianism, I think, is that it's the totality of that system where it's in every part of your life. And the state, the regime controls every part of your life and they're in every part of your life. A dictator is a strong leader. He's an authoritarian leader. He has a lot of control, but he doesn't control everything. He can't control everything. Um, and I think that's where the difference is. You have some very, very strong leaders, very mm. harsh dictators, uh, especially in in Africa. Um, Mussolini was one of them. I, don't, I personally don't subscribe to the fact that Mussolini was a totalitarian um, because he didn't have control of everything. You know, he'd been appointed by a king who stayed throughout that reign. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and he wasn't the final, you know, he wasn't the be-all and end-all within that system because he had someone above him. Um, and same with authoritarian. It's a very strong leader that has a lot of authority. It's these root words, again, mm -hmm. has a lot of authority over the system. But authority doesn't mean you're fully in charge. You know, totalitarians are on their own. We see that with North Korea; they're on their own. They're not really beholden to anyone. Like China, they're on their own. They're very—they're not beholden to anyone. Hmm. 
you have these authoritarian leaders which are beholden to other states who rely upon other states for things. We saw that a lot in South America in the 20th century where they're beholden mm-hmm. to America for their power. Right. Yes, I mean, it's it's one of those things, like, once once you understand, um, like, the just the basic significance of the words, like, we, I think we have a, a I guess, tendency of um, just utilizing words lightly particularly you know in, in everyday knowledge and, and sometimes even in academia just because it's convenient right um, and things just kind of end up losing their meaning even though it's clearly yeah. delineated within within the concept and, and the linguistics that are uh, things that... do get watered down i suppose and exactly just used more commonly yeah 100 i mean we, we need to just generally in academia we need to stop using such big words Right. Uh, I know. I know. I'm guilty of it, <laughs> but we do need to stop because sometimes we're trying to get people to understand stuff. Mm. And you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at my book right in front of me, and I've got ascendancy and ascertain, um, and totalitarianism and stuff like that. I've got you know, I've seen those words more than I do four or five letter words. So I think it's mm. a problem that we have in academia that we need to kind of address. Bit of an addiction. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um. I think it's. It's the difference that comes from, uh, well, I, I personally think that a, a lot of it comes from like an, an elitist uh, regime that that is quite totalitarian, yeah. <laughs> actually, <laughs> in in academia, where academics yeah. just want to control everything and using it's because specific we're reading. language. Yeah. It's because we're reading as well, so we keep reading these words and then we just start using yeah. them. It just keeps getting exactly. reinforced, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, by trying to create your own subculture, you try to, you know... It, get get hold of everything but anyway I, I guess not to discourage anyone from a career in academia no. or a career in writing or anything or from buying no. my book so no. be, the, be the change we're, we're talking yeah. about yeah. for sure just you know just just be aware of uh of, of of what happens when you know you get involved in these circles it's, it's very easy to get sucked in and um, which funnily enough it's it's kind of how these regimes happen you, you kind of like you said you know they creep into your everyday life and it is that lack of awareness that we display with very basic things like you know the, the words that we use to refer to the things that happen around our life that uh, that in some cases really allow totalitarian regimes to to exist because if it's everywhere and you are not even sure how it got there in the first place how are you supposed to fight it how are you supposed to get rid of it how, how can you escape right it becomes a living nightmare, um, which I think is actually something that a lot of people who have lived in totalitarian regimes um, have have uh, explained in in their accounts, like memories and memoirs and that sort of stuff. That it's just like a constant state of um, it's, it's beyond the state of alert. It's, it's a constant state of panic. Um, so There's a lot a lot of people who who voted in the Nazis. You know, they've looked like like we do nowadays. They looked at a manifesto and went, "Well, we usually have coalitions, so that'll get sorted." You know, Hindenburg mm. will make sure that doesn't come in, so mm. we don't need to worry about that. Um, and then very slowly, these people bring these things in because they went, "Well, we voted." They didn't realize how strong a policy this was of ours, but they can't complain because they voted for it. Mm. Exactly. It's um, it's sneaky, um, which is, I guess, is the scariest part of it. So yeah. in terms of um, totalitarianism and especially considering, because you've already said, for example, that you don't think that Mussolini should be perceived as a as a proper 
totalitarian and we've already spoken about some um, places in, in Africa. I remember one of the things that we discussed last time and that I certainly want to bring back to the conversation today is that I think um, there are two key issues with totalitarianism, at least from an academic point of view and uh, from a cultural point of view or an understanding of it, which is, I, I believe we've sort of um, have uh, stagnated or, or, or perceived that totalitarianism was a, an issue of the 20th century and not of the 21st century, when that's very much not the case. And that totalitarianism belongs to a, a very specific geographical area of the world, which of course then invalidates the, the suffering that people are having in places like Africa or you know elsewhere. So can you maybe unpack a bit more those those issues? Why why is it very much uh, a thing of the past, even though it's very present in our lives? And why do you think the the historiography and the academic world has managed to sort of shape it as a you know Western problem rather than actually a global problem, which is which is very much what it is because. I'm sure you will agree with me. If you go to buy a book about totalitarianism, other than your book, <laughs> you will very much just encounter, you know, like you said, it would be Hitler, it would be Stalin. Um, and perhaps if you get lucky, you, you get mention of, of Mao in there. But other than that, it's very much rooted between those, you know, far right or far left movements of the early 20th century, which is outrageous considering some of the most atrocious dictatorships are, are either still happening or, or we're nowhere near those areas so can we can we talk a bit more about that so firstly i think we're guilty in this country of having a very world war ii centric mm -hmm. um historiography oh, yeah. um and practically every book that you come across in in waterstones or whatever is world war ii history or it's the tudors which is which is great i'm not i'm not i'm not disregarding the tudors of world war ii history people but, do love to talk about hitler don't they exactly people love to talk about hitler it's a bit um much. and there's a lot on it uh there's some, there's a lot of good stuff on it but there is a lot on it um and we tend to look at it as you know let's look at world war ii well hitler was a bad guy what was hitler like Okay, he was a totalitarian because people who lived there said he was a totalitarian. And then it was Cold War. Okay, who's the bad guy? Stalin's the bad guy. Let's look at Stalin. All right, people lived there said he's a bad guy because he, and he's a totalitarian. So Hitler's uh, Hitler and Stalin are the bad guys. Let's compare them. And a lot of historiography surrounding um, totalitarianism tends to analyse the sources of both of these regimes and compare them. Mm -hmm. Which, which is fantastic from a point of looking at what totalitarianism is and where, where the overlays are. Um, but then we also tend to have an idea that Nazism was worse. Mm -hmm. uh, because Uncle Joey, Uncle Joey Stalin, helped us defeat Hitler. Um, so we don't look at communism in such a bad light, which means because we don't look at communism in such a bad light, we don't look at Mao in such bad light. Mm -hmm. So we we tend to group these things together and not look at them for what they are. Um, yep. But then to also not look at Mao to the extent as a like, as such a bad guy, we tend not to look at North Korea for its like for its politics for its totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. We tend to look at it for its poverty for its its nuclear weapons. 
not for what not to look at it politically so i think right i think we tend to kind of ignore these things and just make a because it's more and because it's the mass of the favorite history of of everyone we tend to look at it from world war ii way and yeah i I have heard that that's there are some criticisms of at least the original ideas of totalitarianism in that it tries to group together you know what you know the soviet union did what nazi germany did and, and others in the cold war as kind of an easy way of being like you know during the cold war being anti-communist and comparing them to fascism well Um, that was that was indeed one of the criticisms of the conference actually mm -hmm. um is that the conference was maybe too heavily german too heavily refugees or expats who had escaped the nazi regime and then They've come together to make a a definition on what what they felt totalitarianism was, which you know again it's them talking about their experience. Yeah. Uh, but Masha Gessen, I think I hope Masha Gessen, I hope I'm pronouncing their their name correctly. They've you know they've said that this definition, I think it was Masha Gessen anyway. They said that this definition was too. And Lev Goodkov as well. Goodkov said that these definitions are too German-centric; they're not right. Soviet-centric, and they've created their own characteristics to try and adapt to that. So there's not one fit, like catch-all yeah. definition. Um, you know, in like I said last time, in twenty years' time, or five to ten years' time, we could have North Koreans coming out and giving their own, you know, four or seven or eight. Ca- um, categories of what a totalitarian state is because of their own experiences Mm -hmm. um you know 30 years time we could have a lot of chinese scholarship coming out Mm -hmm. and saying you know this is what a totalitarian state is because all of these experiences are different all of these regimes are set up differently but a lot of these definitions include several of the same things so friedrichs talks about a system of terror uh, enacted by the secret police. Raymond Aron, in 68, he said, ideological terror that turns into economic or professional actions into crimes. And Lev Goodkoff uh, has spoken about state-organised terror. Um, so there's been an updating of what these char- char- uh, characteristics of totalitarianism are uh, fitting to different systems. Mm. But it constantly needs to be reviewed, right? This is this is the issue. We we tend to, I think, because, you know, we've, we've allowed ourselves to even contemplate the idea that that doesn't happen anymore. We don't need to think about it anymore. We don't need to review it anymore when the reality is that actually the, the the current forms of totalitarianism that we have um in the world are, are are perhaps you know challenging those those original preconceptions and proving that we are definitely not done with this issue like you say you know how how can we compare hitler to to kim jong un is they are two completely different <laughs> individuals in in two completely different societies in two completely different uh, geographical contexts 
and into completely different periods of time with you know different issues of their own right so exactly that's um that's kind of where this comes from mm. like, that's where the different like, the problems with the system are like lev goodkoff in his seven said num uh one of his one of his seven was a chronic state of poverty yeah. well if you look at china which is being characterized as totalitarian i don't see a chronic state of poverty no. in china <laughs> right yeah, yeah but if i'm looking at north korea i can see a chronic state of poverty mm. that's where that's where this other that's where the other school of thought is is that you know who are we to deny their experience because mm. if a chinese person came to me um and said or someone from hong kong came to me and said well, you know I, I feel like i live in a totalitarian regime um and let's say they've got say what they say says five of what lev goodkoff's saying or of what raymond aaron says and meets everything that carl j friedrich says well there's a pretty good chance that they're living in a totalitarian society because then they're ticking so many bots the, from so many thinking on this oh hell yeah hell yeah um yeah. I, I think i can't remember who said it but it, it said that the west specifically america always needs an enemy mm. um and we saw saw the collapse of communism and then saw the collapse of the ussr and then they decided to move on to the middle east and then they won in the middle won depending on what your criteria for a winner um <laughs> and then the middle east yeah something happened in the middle east that's kind of finished and now there's this kind of it looks like there's this before al-qaeda came in and isis which you know there's a whole different thing um it looked like there was going to be this recalibration of who the west or who america paints as the enemy to be in the shape of the chinese flag um yeah. so it is definitely within that cold war narrative and in america's need for an enemy mm -hmm. which at the same time probably well tells us a lot about american society rather than the rest of the world and i think that's that's probably the issue you know whichever way we want to drive this conversation it always brings it back to uh, a western perspective um of people who for good or bad don't don't have to worry about the the specific pressing need of totalitarianism being in their lives right now as much as you know oh. it, it may feel that way I, but, I kind of i kind of disagree with the fact that totalitarianism isn't in their lives because well, it is yeah. but in <laughs> it a, is. like yes. like we said another in another way um exactly. i mentioned last week about or not last week last time we spoke about uh inverted totalitarianism which is the idea that um, it's not the government and the regime who have this total power over people, but it's the corporations that have mm -hmm. the total control over people. So that's that's looking at Facebook, that's looking at Google, um, and these kind of big corporations which control vast swathes of our lives. You know, Apple has your fingerprint data. They have, not to get into this kind of rant because, you know, I'm using apple i've got an iphone and stuff like that um <laughs> yeah. but they have your face data they have your thumbprint and all that information about you but similar information to what these totalitarian regimes have on or had on people 
Mm. Yeah, no, that that is interesting because I guess the the idea there could be that it's kind of like a liberal totalitarianism, isn't it? Where it's it's come about by the economic system uh, that's in place in places like America with lack of regulation on private companies allowing them to get away with this same sort of stuff that you might fear in an actual totalitarian state. And it's 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 so easy for these corporations to actually get in, much mm. as it was for these states. It was mm. so easy for them to get into your life, uh, you know, like that, and they're there. So, um, you know, it's one it's one of these theories that I'm quite interested. In. I haven't looked into fully well enough, but there's there's a lot coming out. Do you think it's kind of tricky to look at it that way? Because you know, a, a lot of the scholarship on this might be coming more from a western perspective so it's probably harder to look inward it's it's evolving scholarship as well that's the that's the problem as well um a lot of this stuff in the in the 50s and the 60s was written after you know the conference happened the day after stalin died uh it happened after the fall of nazism uh Mm -hmm. brzezinski and friedrich writing together well after the death of stalin um so that that in a way was mature scholarship because they'd had that time to sit and think um whilst the USR was still USSR was still going on and you know that whole buffer zone for the USSR but this is very much emerging developing mm. scholarship where since the theory first came out these corporations are way way much bigger yeah. than they were when it was first being written about so is western centric because these corporations have a huge grasp on western people mm. but then you know you look to the east particularly to the east china's being character under especially under xi jinping it is being it's been it's been described as neo-totalitarian just through his, right. his sheer grasp of power over there Neo-totalitarian, as if as if we needed to renew the concept. I think it's funny how how we feel that's necessary, right? Uh, but yeah. I, I guess that sort of highlights the fact that we we believe it's over, so we are we are renewing it, which just kind of uh, maybe yeah. Is it that, or funny. just that you know the the previous term you know ha- has been watered down, and you need to come up with something different to actually actually drive it home that there's mm. there's something happening <laughs> i think we need i think we need the term neo-totalitarianism because it's just different i mean it's mm. not too different because it's still a, a communist uh regime kind of in the stalinist shape but not in the stalinist shape and kind of in the maoist shape but not in the maoist shape um so I think it is a term that's needed because it's different. Uh, it's new as well. Like the 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 level of technology mm. within the the Chinese system now is just so so much more advanced than it was back then. You know, the yeah. listening devices just completely different. Uh, mm. I just bought a book uh, the other week on, by Ian Williams, "Every Breath You Take: China's New Tyr- Tyranny." And on the back, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been able to start it yet. It's on my to-be red pile. He says China is building the world's first digital totalitarian state. 
turning 1984 into a frightening reality. Um, so I think, yeah, it does. We do need that neo-totalitarian label there. But ultimately, how how different is somewhere like the US from that? You know, it's yeah. People might yeah. say yeah. they're not far behind. So I, th I, th I think know. it's the side. I don't want to say side, but kind of like this sideways power where yeah. Facebook, Apple, Google, Microsoft are it's kind of secondhand power. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not government, and the government can shut it down quite easily. Um, and the government can limit that power quite easily. But and you your <laughs> and they don't want to, and you yourself can stop it. You know, you can yeah. go and delete your Facebook account. You can go and delete your Instagram account. You can go and delete your Twitter account. Are you yeah. going to? No. No. <laughs> um, I think the only one you could probably find because Bing is so horrific. Uh, the only one you'd find difficult to get away from is Google. Yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah, just Bing is that bad, <laughs> uh, and that's Microsoft as well. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's that kind of you do opt in to that inverted yeah. totalitarianism. While you're China, you, you can't. Um, you can't opt out. I, I guess the the way China does it is kind of more. It's more definite and more more strict with it. But if you're in the West, you kind of buy into a lot of these systems, whether you like it or not, just through the sheer amount of marketing that's thrown at you and mm. just. It, it feels like there's a choice, but how much is there you, really in the end? You've consciously gone out and chosen to buy an iPhone. You've constantly, yeah. consciously made a Facebook account. No one has consciously become Chinese. Do you like? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. True. Um, and but when you're when you're growing up in in a society where you know it's seen as the normal thing to do that, and you've not heard anything different, yeah. oh, I completely understand. Um, there's, there's obviously a difference, but it's uh, it's hard to break out of that. Not impossible, yeah. but yeah. it's still I, overwhelming. And then on the flip side, you have North Korea as well, where if you if you if you're a diplomat and you go to another country, mm -hmm. you think you can escape, you will be brought back if you show any kind of sense of being ideologically opposed to certain parts of the regime. You will be brought right back and punished. Mm. Um, so you know, there's that. You don't get punished for dropping out of Facebook, except you can't see. You know, I'm in this age now where I'm seeing pregnancy pictures and wedding <laughs> photos. It, make, it makes me want to turn off, but you know, I can choose not to see that. Yeah. It's, There's definitely um, comparisons to be made there, though. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, 100%. What I, what I was um, going to say about this is that um, because, and, and this is where the, the inverted, cap, um, not capitalism, <laughs> although I guess, you know, it, it is. It is an aspect of it, um, the inverted totalitarianism uh, aspect, and and why I I really see this becoming a, a real issue, is because you know I I am aware all of us can go and delete all of these things that mm. you've said you know from from our phone from our lives, um, but we are aware we can do that. Um, how many people out there? feel or have been brought up or or even to some extent brainwashed into the idea that this is the world now this is the way things move forward this is the way their lives are running mm. um and of course they, they do have a choice um but you know it starts bordering in some stages i'm 
and you know um, some people have called me a radical for saying this beforehand but you know one of the aspects of totalitarianism is is that sort of constant fear thrown your way right the, the fact that yeah. you stay away from the norm you are gonna end up very badly some some people and and some places and some um cultural and social circles mm. start building that that fear that if yeah the sort of there, peer pressure or the the fear yeah. the fear of missing out the fomo yeah you know. exactly you know it's, this, it's not the same fear as like being executed but no, it still but, drives people, but, doesn't it? But it but it means that you are executed from what is now accepted as the social life, yeah. as your social network. And yeah. you know, it's interesting how these things sort of tie into each other because you know, particularly when things like a pandemic happened, that was pretty much the total state of what people could do as as a social engagement. And I think I said this last time and, and you know, I'm, I'm going to take this back again, but it, it kind of starts becoming really hard. And, and I understand exactly why some people may feel like they are living in totalitarian societies or, or you know, that kind of environment. It, it becomes really hard to start differentiating who who instigated that idea, you know, like you said right. Our governments have the power. It's, it's as simple as that. They're in power for that exact reason to to protect us. But if the government that is supposed to protect me is not doing anything to stop Google, Facebook, whatever, you know what I mean, from mm. from acquiring that data, from taking that control over my life, whatever. Okay, maybe this government cannot be considered a, a totalitarian regime because it's not controlling every single aspect of my life directly, but mm. If the vast majority of these governments, as the vast majority of them do, profit from the enterprises that Google, blah, 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 yeah. are, are doing by simply obtaining our data and, and not just our data, but a lot of other stuff, then it kind of starts, you know. They're still culpable in a way. Yeah, it, it, it kind of starts making you uh, question, well, you know, who, what was first, the chicken or the egg, you know, um, did I did we think that totalitarianism wasn't part of our lives anymore because they convinced us it wasn't and and the reason why they did that is because some of those elements were going to be implemented or, or all of those elements were going to be implemented through social means through governmental mm -hmm. means to control us in a way that feels less aggressive and if, if that is the case is that Still totalitarianism do we need to think about things like not just neo-totalitarianism but soft totalitarianism or you know what yeah. i mean social totalitarianism cultural totalitarianism which is is something that i i am starting to see and, and i think we discussed this last time and i'll go into more depth with it but you know it's it, the things that we consume and and that we identify as because mm. our cultural trends start taking over life and if you are not doing that then you are outside of the norm and you start being ostracized from society to the point that well you know all it takes is a little spark from someone else to to actually put your life at risk um it's it's something that we saw a lot you know uh, particularly during COVID, the spark of COVID. i mean i i know for example in the area where i live in not far from it because of all of these condensed feelings you know building up and, and whatnot 
um, a lot of members, from example, from the LGBT communities in areas of, of Basingstoke started being targeted as, as just scapegoats because it, it allowed that feeling to come through because there was no other, you know, no one was policing that or, or people were policing it, but not doing anything about it. So it, it, it starts becoming concerning, you know, is, is totalitarianism as simple as those those parameters do we really need to redefine it and yeah it's is is it more than just politics because i think it is and i, I completely buy into this idea of, of inverted totalitarianism but at the same time like you said is is very dangerous to just very quickly jump into oh this is totally totalitarianism and, and this is not so mm. that's that's what i wish people were a bit more engaged and and sort of you know, actively thinking about this because until we do this, whether it's as members of society or as academics, we have a problem. If we don't understand what we are creating, what we're buying into, what what we could potentially leading ourselves into, like you know, um, turkeys to this letter for uh, Thanksgiving, <laughs> then it, it's 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 dangerous. And and the fact that it's not being talked about is hard. I think this part of the problem though is that if we keep labeling like we've just done labeling things as totalitarian um that's where we need categories yes because you can't just keep saying this is totalitarian this is totalitarian this is totalitarian because yeah. it erodes the word's power and mm. it denies others experiences in a very privileged position here in the west here in the uk fact that we don't live in totalitarianism the fact that we can't the fact that you can someone can turn around and say boris is totalitarian uh trump is totalitarian it's quite frankly in my opinion insulting on people who have actually experienced totalitarian yes um and like the term soft totalitarianism is is cultural totalitarianism uh mm -hmm. which is which is cancel culture yes um i think cancel culture is a better word than soft totalitarianism Although yeah. it is it is what it is. Um, so I think it's important to draw these distinctions if we are going to say something acknowledging a privileged position in the West, as, especially from my front as a, as a white straight male in the UK, mm -hmm. you know, recognising that privilege to be able to talk about totalitarianism openly, also to not deny other people's experiences because I don't want to Oh, and like I, I, I will have a problem saying soft totalitarianism because study and research totalitarianism, and I'd rather call it. I'd rather I'd rather a better word than cancel culture, but cancel yeah, word, that's, cancel that's culture. That's a messy it. term as well. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. I think I think that's where uh, a lot of the problems are. That you know, even even people like you who are trying to dissect the field because. I mean, to to a degree, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're doing something like this, because academia has made this such an isolated, uh, you know, task, um, the the more you ostracize people doing things that, that should be done, the, the, the more difficult it becomes for them to get their research known, to get others to collaborate with them. Because of that, you know, how can you stay on top of the trend if you are the only person that is is, you know, trying to define those lines to to provide alternatives it, it becomes really hard from the point of view of, of us as historians and as academics to actually 
do the service that, that we should be doing to society, which is saying, hey, we, we have this problem, um, just saying, based on our track record, <laughs> you know, this is this is getting um, a bit uh, concerning. So mm. this is this is where um, we don't need just just categories, but we, we just simply need more hands on deck and it becomes hard, you know. As a, as a researcher and a student of this area, um i find it i find it the fact that we kind of switched off to the idea of totalitarianism there's there's a there's a little bit of a lull in in scholarship i find uh, we we were all the rage for it we spoke about all, you know I, I would think we're all the rage for it for a certain point because there's a lot of scholarship within a certain point mm-hmm. after the fall of nazi nazi germany there's a lot of scholarship and a lot after the death of Stalin, there's a lot of scholarship, and then there seems to be a lull mm-hmm. um, because of the thaw in relations. It seems to yeah. be like less people were were de- defecting, and there tends to be a lull in scholarship and the fact that like wasn't a lot on totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I find quite difficult, and then the fact that there was a lull, it's just not in vogue now. Um, it's mm. It seems to be this this polit- uh, political science, this political theory of the past. It's you, know, you look at it, and you kind of go, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, let's talk about China, and let, let, let's let's talk about let's let's talk about China, and let's talk about how horrible and how horrible North Korea is. Um, but you know, like the word totalitarianism isn't really. It doesn't to me. It seems distant from distant from the research on those two regimes. Yeah. Um, so for, yeah, for me, I feel quite unique and privileged to be in this area. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think maybe some of that is, you know, the average person probably will be in disbelief that something like that exists today. They kind of consider it to be something that happened in the past and today, you know, things are better where, you know, everyone's better now. Yeah, I think it's, I think part of it comes down to definitely death figures in the holocaust yeah um there's there's something tangible there yeah you can you can go to auschwitz and you can see the terror you can feel the terror you know i've 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 heard friends say no birds fly over auschwitz yeah they Um, they don't i mean i've I've been there and i didn't see a single bird and it was a perfectly clear sunny day it's not just the fact that um there were no birds it's just there there was nothing like i exactly I can't Something explain tangible. this to you guys unless you you were there. Mm. Other than the the remains of the buildings, and I very much mean remains of buildings, because in in Auschwitz-Birkenau, the vast majority of of Birkenau was actually destroyed as the Nazis were leaving. So all you have left is is kind of like dust, very arid land. Like just walking into the general area, that the land is dead there is nothing there um so exactly that kind of feeds into my point there's something there's something yeah. tangible something mm-hmm. tangible that you can go oh, that was the result you can yeah. go to russia and you can see the lubyanka you can see the gulags and you can go there's something tangible yeah. you can go to the building of the czars um where the czars were murdered there's, there's something tangible for you to go this is totalitarianism with china you can't go to where the Uyghur Muslims are because mm-hmm. totalita- yeah, the totalitarian regime, China, is still there. 
So there's nothing yeah. tangible, and China's been very good for Xi Jinping at, at building international relations. So everyone still mm -hmm. kind of has this, China's been good to us. So don't talk about it. And North Korea is this this other, you know, this this fascination with people. Yeah. So, and they and they're so fascinated by its oddities. It's um, yeah, it's very it's comedic to a lot of people, isn't it? Exactly. You know, you only need to look at Team America and mm. the dictator. Is it the dict not the dictator, yeah. the other one? Um what's the one with Seth Rogan and James Franco? Uh, I thought it was the interview. The Oh, sorry, interview. yes, the interview, That's yes. It. So you only need to look at those two movies to see it as this kind of other. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, people, with all with all due respect, people forget about the other ones. You know, no, yeah. no one... People only know Belarus, mm -hmm. who bought. Um, yeah. People only know of Atria. Which I, 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 I didn't really know about Atria for a few... Like, until a few years ago. So these other smaller kingdoms, these other smaller regimes, forgotten about. Mm. I think a lot of them are probably yeah the ones that people do know about. They're like they're in the past and they don't exist anymore, or other ones they're just seen as sort of almost fictional because you hear so much stuff about them that seems ridiculous, like North Korea. There uh, tends to be this fear yeah. as well. There tends to be this fear. It's like even myself, I have it slightly. I feel that, you know, I'm probably, I, I know for a damn well fact that I'm not going to be allowed in North Korea because of what I've written. Mm -hmm. yes. Um, And I have this kind of fear, you know, maybe I'm not going to be allowed in China. Did, did, did China, are China even aware of me or are they aware of my scholarship? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Um, my dissertation was critical of Xi Jinping. Yeah. So and and I've I've been vocal on other podcasts as well about the Eurogo Muslim Holocaust. Mm. So you know there's that there's, there's that fear as well. Um, yeah. You know, are yeah. are people watching? And it's, you know, are they aware? It's um you know for for those of you listening, guys, and and please take this from someone who's not to the same extent, but uh, very very close to actually have experienced that firsthand. Uh, the, the, the fear is real. It's, it's not because we're paranoid. It's because we, we are aware of what happens when you are um, meddling, well, <laughs> meddling, <laughs> when you are doing perfectly reasonable research. But obviously, you know, at the end of the day, you know, my my digital footprint, the same than Jackson's, the same than anyone else's, is registered on Google. So someone is going to be able to go and say, hey, you were reading this. Why were you reading this? You know, at the end of the day, yeah. this is this is how um supposedly we are kept safe um because to a yeah. degree uh, whether you like it or not we do live in a state that is quite quite involved in surveillance um yeah. so you know that's how it is but it's not just that it's just that it, it it doesn't just happen in the movies it actually happens in in real life and mm -hmm. it, it doesn't just happen it doesn't have to happen in in a big place or in a small place i come from a small town in the north of spain okay my town was the very last town in the whole of Spain, the very last town, to remove Franco's statue. The date was 2009. Sorry, 2000 and, yeah, 2009. I literally was just 18 years old. This, this is very recent, okay? This is within your lifetime, if you're listening to this. 
prior to that, in, in my experience as a teenager, I was essentially having to um, be aware of, of stuff most people even in the UK wouldn't even be aware of because I had to be responsible for the fact that my political ideas, which although they were openly exposed in a democracy, were actually putting my life at risk. I yeah. was walking one day as I came out through a particular part of town where sometimes conflicts happen and two neo-Nazis stopped me and they knew who I was. Not not just because of, of certain things I may have been wearing or, or certain places I may have been coming from. You know, They understood me as an individual subscribing to certain ideas and therefore that immediately put my life at risk. I was like 13 years old, okay? I'm not even suggesting that I was a, a perfect grown-up that could have taken care of herself, uh, which, I mean, thankfully, there was support there. And, and we managed to, to find people who helped us so that I didn't actually end up in hospital with uh, a baseball bat through my skull. But, mm. you know, the, the fear is real. If you are aware of this stuff and you're constantly talking about it, verbalizing it, putting it out there, it will get noticed. It's as simple as that. Because it obviously goes against the interest of, of people who don't want you to think that way. So it, you know, I, I take it quite personal because, you know, when I came to the UK, I thought that was normal. And I insist, I come from a country that was already a democracy, but Spain was a dictatorship for, you know, over 40 years. Most people don't know that out there. And again, this happened during your lifetime, more likely than not. If you're listening to this, um, or or in your near lifetime, your parents' lifetime, but you know, people in the UK never uh, had uh, experienced anything like that because in the UK we were lucky enough to not have a regime like that. Even though we could have been very close, yet again, you probably aren't aware of that because it's not spoken about. Because the fear of even mentioning, you know, the black jackets, it, it gets people twitchy. But if you're not talking about it, you're at risk of becoming it. Yeah. And you're at risk of being targeted by it. And it's it's something that, you know, it, it takes a lot of guts to to go into kind of conversation. I think what, what kind of saves us here in the UK is that our political developments happened 200 years before everyone else's. Yes. 300 years before it. We had the Magna Carta. Um, we had a revolution, say, 200 years before everyone else's years before everyone else's so these kind of political maturity of our system and the relative readiness of these kind of big kind of saved us because well you know if that had happened a hundred years later be a republic 100 percent we'd be would still be a republic like like france mm -hmm. um if it happened 300 years later possibly would have been communist so these kind of we're, we're very we take it for granted in this country who's now, to say things could be better or worse though <laughs> exactly so we, we do take it for granted in this country our, our, how mature our political system is mm -hmm. how hardy it is as well you know the challenges it's faced the fact that it's still here you know it's not perfect i'm not saying it's perfect yeah, it's, but it's the double-edged sword in a way but yeah exactly exactly the amount of battering it's taken and it's still there yeah. working 
a lot better than a lot of other systems said or can say. Yeah, I guess like you were talking about that that matter of perspective. Like, mm -hmm. there's obviously uh, problems, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're as bad as a totalitarian state. Exactly, it's, it's, it, that is exactly where it comes back. It's that loop of you know we'd deny and and that privilege of us mm -hmm. being able to look at these things safely. Yeah, I mean. Um... Taking taking it back to a, a rather recent example, um, you know, people. I'm 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 not you know saying uh, that because someone isn't as bad as someone else, it, it excuses them from you know um, mm. receiving their judgment or whatever. But uh, fortunately, our our country is um, you know in in the UK. And as much as stuff may not feel that way sometimes, and, and as much as things are changing, um, you know, the, this country hasn't seen a war on its soil for how many years? We're, we're approaching, you know... Christ, almost a thousand. <laughs> Definitely a foreign invader, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's not happened for a long time. I mean, even if you think about the impact of, of the Blitz in the UK, yes, there was war, yes, there were bombings, and yes, the home front suffered severely but you know there wasn't a physical army coming here and mm -hmm. and actually walking the streets and and you know causing that kind of problem but even even in most western countries these days you know the people of our generation and and potentially people the generation above us they've never had to experience a conflict of of you know the magnitude of, of what we've seen in the past in their lifetime and it's kind of lured us into a, a false sense of security right uh, particularly mm -hmm. as technology has developed and and capitalism makes it as simple as you know i lift my phone and i can buy anything in a matter of five minutes and it will be in my doorstep three minutes later <laughs> okay mm -hmm. maybe not three minutes but you get the idea it's it's created this uh, complete uh, disassociation between uh, you know the, the real danger that there is there towards human life, whether it comes yeah. from a, a car that could potentially run you over on the street because, you know, it happens to climate change, which is uh, a, a serious issue that is killing us all, quite literally, yeah. um, to the fact that there are places out there in the world where this is happening, you know, where, where people live in constant fear of, of war, of, of totalitarianism or of whatever it is. And I think that that is a, another serious issue that we have in the West. And the reason why this conversation needs to move away from the West, because your privileged, comfortable, uh, you know, security blanket that is built around you from a very early age is is yeah. an absolute privilege. You know, that's that was never taken a, a, as a granted uh, for early humans. We've, mm -hmm. we've built around it. We've secured it. We've thought that this is how it's supposed to be. And actually. Um, it's it's only what is supposed to be for for not even half of the global population. So you know all all you need to do is just turn on the news and and see what's happening in Afghanistan. Like mm -hmm. you know, see 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 all that damage and and that is actually in, in its own way, um, even though it's not spoken about a lot. And that's actually something I wanted to speak about. You know, there is a lot of regimes out there that are very misunderstood and 
presented as totalitarian when they aren't, and, and some others not actually spoken of as totalitarian where they absolutely are, right. um, which which are having a direct impact into everyone's lives. So it's it's that lack of awareness and that uh, false sense of security that I kind of feel has taken us into this this very dangerous position. You know, this is this is how the the fear starts um, creeping in. Yeah, and it that. Yeah, kind of security kind of makes people not recognize the signs of these things when they might be showing up. That's another reason why we need these categories is mm. all good and well, someone saying they live in totalitarianism, but how does the, the average person on the street, if you can present the categories, set of ideas of what it is to the average person on the street, then motion soaks in a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas football, you know the categories of what a what a forward is, what a winger is, mm-hmm. because of how they play, where they play, and what style of football they play. Mm. If you present that kind of information to the average person on the street, and go, this is totalitarianism. This is what it looks like. This is how it acts, how it affects the people. This is how it looks from the outside. It makes the concept easier. What do you think about the? potential problem though that uh like people throwing around the term totalitarianism for people like trump or something they kind of see it on a surface level and they kind of notice some things which might fall into the right category but you really need to look at what the actual effects are at the end of it to actually consider whether it's true totalitarianism i think that was a massive problem is that people who didn't like trump just went into totalitarian and yeah. it was it was incredibly frustrating to sit there, yeah, to see it and just to be like, no, um, and I think that 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 is the danger, to be honest. Um, the problem with that kind of definition, the problem, but like, even if you look at Friedrich's look at Friedrich's five, the body of doctrine. The deal is not a political body doctrine. Single mass party, no. Uh, Republican party was smaller than the Democrat party in terms of vote share. Yeah. Um, he have a monopoly of arms, no, because of the amendment allows Americans to have a well-regulated militia. Um, does he have a monopoly on communications? No. Uh, does he economic centralization? Not really, because of free market in the US, and they operate a system of terror called arbitrarily enacted logical terror. Unless you count his his Twitter, which was jarring in its in its grammatical <laughs> terror, then and then no. So I, I mean. People might say stuff about, like, you know, people in the Black Lives Matter movement might say things about the sort of police state idea, but that's not necessarily just a Trump problem, is it? No. And, that, that's, and that's, that's just been one there of the whole time. One of six. That too, yeah. Of six. So, like, even if you have a fast centre back and he, he's fast like a winger, you don't say he's a winger. Right. Yeah. That's, it's that kind of yeah, that I see what thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 100%. Um that that thing but then you know I, I guess i guess um just because i i like um calling things by what they are if if you think we already need to develop things like 
neo-totalitarianism and that those categories are, are firm, then, you know, to me as a scholar, what, what this is saying is that a field that is actually very new, um, it has changed so much in despite its, its short life that I can't believe it's, it's dead. Like, how can we even think it's dead when, when it's actually confusing us more um, mm -hmm. than, than, than we have any certainties about it? So, you know. You look, look at it mathematically. Um, nearly, I'm bad at maths. Uh, it's nearly 80 years the yeah. fall of Nazism. Mm -hmm. And it's nearly 60 years the death of Stalin. Um, I. Th there's no framework for neo being used like neoconservatism was relatively close to conservatism yeah there is a difference you know 70 to 80 years is large it's big well i guess yeah from a from a modern history from, point of view yeah, as from, a historian from, a point... from the middle ages that just seems like a blip but yes for sure it is days is a long long time in politics so yes. imagine what 80 years is you know the digital the digi digital jump in that time you know we've yes. we've gone to the moon get to the u.s in six hours um so that technological jump i think warrants the term neo in mm -hmm. terms of but it is it like is a new term some people are some people are still saying china is verging on the edge of totalitarianism and just updating how they see totalitarianism yeah, people are characterizing it as neo-totalitarianism. People sit on the fence, really, but I th it it's new. You know, we don't we don't yeah. know what's fully happening with Xi Jinping. I guess I guess this kind of yeah illustrates like like what you were saying before. It is important to have those strict definitions of, of what what totalitarianism is or what anything means in general, but also that there will also be variations and blurring of lines that you need to identify it's just up to discourse i suppose as to when you actually call it a different thing or not okay and i'm 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 also a big sports historian i like i like my football and yeah. i like my rugby um and it's about like total football and uh, a cruyff you know total football is very similar to guardiola ball but yeah. there's a big difference because there's been time and and, and that's yeah. the key feature within all these concepts it's been time and check things have changed such an extent that some people feel like it's a new thing like the, the the level of technology that china has access to like stalin stalin's mind blow up he he would <laughs> would be so so jealous yeah jinping of just the amount of observation that that man yet the amount of information that man can get in a click of a finger, which would have taken Stalin and Beria months to accumulate, years to accumulate. It mm. just, it, that's what I'm saying. It would blow his absolute mind to pieces. <laughs> yeah, but, and you know, that, that kind of makes me think that, unfortunately, and as much as I, I, I wish we had uh, quicker answers for this, um, I guess that the trouble is, um, if say a totalitarian regime goes on for for quite some time, like it's happening in the case of China, but nothing changes, then how how will we ever know for sure? You know what what the full implications of 
of that well, routine well, is. Very lucky with China because China has this this idea, Bang Show cycle, um, which is opening China and then the closing. So the the relative um periods of peace and closing intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of these theories of totalitarianism that you know, this opening gives hope. You know, there's a there's a chance. That this right, this inter- yeah. that you can have freedom, you're gonna have everything you need, and you're gonna be living in fear. That's what that's what that openness is. It's that you know, this is what we're doing. This is how great we are. Saying to the world, look at this. You know, we're not that bad. Suddenly, so that's you sort go, of like stop people from becoming you know hopeless and pushing them to breaking point that they might actually you know challenge you. Stop! Stop looking over their shoulder for five minutes, and that's yeah. enough. It's, it's like in that. It's like for me in a rugby game. It's like when I've when I'm going, and then suddenly the defender's out of eye line. And I'm like, yes, I'm free. And then the next second, he comes out, comes into eye line, absolutely obliterates me. And that's what it is. That closing is you've just had enough to think you're free and you can run. Mm. And suddenly, thing that you did wrong during that period, we're going to get you for mm. everything that you did. Your family did wrong during that period, we're going to get them for right. So, what China China do operate in that Fang Show cycle? It's okay. yeah. It's it is. It is something I've I've heard someone um refer to that before, and uh, I mean it's, it's twisted in, in in a way that really you know makes my gut completely tremble. But it, you know, it, I think for for the lack of any better consolation, that as much as we are you know, struggling with this right now. And and I think it's something we spoke about previously is that, you know, in in years to come, fortunately or unfortunately, depending how you want to see it, obviously, we will have more information about these issues and therefore we will be able to define <laughs> these issues a bit better. Um, but it, it is quite hopeless in the meantime, right, for people like you or people like me to to sort of watch, just watch. Um, it's it is called history because it's already happened, um, yeah. not not because it is uh, you know ahead of you or 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 in this present moment. Um, so there there is there is there a need to fully comprehend where we've come from, at least in this. It's it's so yeah. interesting to sit sit there and see something happen. Yeah. You know, I saw I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, there's a reports of Kim Jong Un uh, being dead. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't believe I didn't believe them for one second. No, I knew that the man had dropped back to figure out purge, and lo and behold, the next month Kim Jong Un's not dead. This many people have apparently been purged. I was like, oh, wow, yeah. like cyclical. Stalin kind of used to step back a little bit. Everyone who tried to step forward and just come for this little bit of power or demonstrate, I'm not fully up not to speed in those details right at this second, but, um, you know, China China had that massive, like, massive failing with, uh, you know, COVID, like how they dealt with COVID in Wuhan and how COVID got out of Wuhan. You know, the second you're seeing that, you're like, well, there's, there's going to be a political purge. People are going to lose their positions. 
Xi Jinping is going to enact a new style of politics within the area. And lo and behold, people were purged, a new style was implemented, and new people were put in place to fix the issue. It's, it's cyclical, like we say. I guess, you know, it's it's the, the power of hands of hindsight will allow us to, you know, properly grasp the, those cycles a bit better you hope so, than yeah. we do right now. But we we should learn from history, obviously, but <laughs> we don't always, <laughs> rarely ever happens. No, <laughs> so, but, you know, uh, I think that's that's the reason why it's important to talk about this stuff. Because if at, yeah. least, if at least you know what to identify as a previous totalitarianism or, or current yeah. totalitarianism, then, you know, someone who in a hundred years from now <laughs> will be listening to this and they will be potentially have read Jackson's book and heard this podcast and, and gathered all that information. They would be able to then go and be like, ah, well, you poor early 21st century people, little did you know here from, you know, uh, this this amount of time has passed. And I can tell you that actually... It, yeah. it wasn't just totalitarianism, but it was totalitarianism X Y Z, uh, penguin. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> this. Some, okay. you know what I mean. Some, something, right. something that will be so specific that will just not be a, a color or or whatever. It it will have such a clear defined outline, yeah. or or at least yeah. a much more clear defined outline than than what yeah. we have right now. But uh, unfortunately, it's it's the issue with. Um, you know, uh, living living in this moment and assessing the society of of your time, um, that it kind of limits how how far you can go. And unless you can fast travel and and go yeah. into the future, it it becomes hard. But you know, it, it, and and for people out there, and and this is I've just become conscious of the time, so I'm gonna mm. try to wrap this up. But it's something that I I wanted to ask Jackson, and I know that we asked him last time. You know. For people looking to come into history, for people looking to come into this type of um, of areas, it, it is a challenge, but there is so much work to do, you know, for, for people who think that history is just living in dusty archives or, you know, doing that kind of antiquarian jobs. It's, it's really not like that. It doesn't have to be like that, like particularly as, as society is changing in this day and age. Hell, I'll, I'll, I'll be thrilled to read the the assessments and historical assessments of, of what the pandemic alone has done to our world in 50 years down the line. But but that's something that you can start doing now. You don't need to, you know, and you go don't, all the way back. I, I have my, my BA. Uh, I'm trained to be a history teacher, but I still, I still research and I yes. teach people about history online. You know, you don't need to, I am intended to get a master's, but you don't need to be a professor need to you need to be working as long as you are well researched and you communicate your ideas coherently and appropriately um, then you will be okay you will be able to speak about these things authoritatively um, you know i'm here and you've invited me on as an expert on totalitarianism um, and if i've just completed my my undergraduate undergraduate studies be an expert at whatever level as long as you're well researched and you communicate well yeah and that's you know that's that's something that i really hope particularly with uh with the new generations that people grasp more like you know social media and the platforms that we have and all of that they 
they can be, um, you know, scary. They they have a lot of power on us. But if we use them right, then we have the the potential to do so much good, like yeah. so so much good. And and it, it, you don't have to be anyone special in the sense of you know just because I have a PhD and and I have a title that says I am a doctor, it doesn't make me any more valid than than you or or anyone else. If you know it, you know, if you know your stuff, it doesn't matter. Right, yeah, we've, as long as you can prove put, it. And yeah. Exactly. We've put so much emphasis on just having paperwork to, to prove what we can do and, and the knowledge that we have. I, I know a lot of people with a PhD that their their knowledge of something is actually quite, quite ridiculous, considering the amount of time that you would expect someone with a PhD to actually have invested themselves on a subject, whatever, you know, they've, they've not thought, they've just, you know, sort of powered through it. They've, they've not taken it in. But anybody, anybody that has the curiosity or the intention to know about something can become an expert. It doesn't matter how old you are or, you know, what your background is, you can't do it. But you need to lose that fear of, um, you know, of, of that elitism of, oh, because I don't have a paper, you know. And, and I believe society is changing that way because yeah. of technology, but it's, it's going to still take a few a few more want a bigger effort. inspiration Dan jones one of the biggest names in history i think he he has a master's doesn't have a doctorate what was that name jones oh yeah then yeah 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 he's oh, right. he's not he's not that he's not a, a phd he's he's just oh, right. he has he has a master's he's on netflix he's on B, he was on bbc he's he writes some of the biggest history books of the year mm. Mm. if if dan jones can get there yeah, yeah, and you know, no, no offense to fan, to to Dan Jones or the or the fans of Dan Jones, but as as someone who has been doing this for some time, I can even tell you he's he's not even one of the best ones out there. Um, <laughs> no offense, he's he's really good at what he does, but a lot of the things he brings to the forefront of of conversations, he's not even the best of researchers out there. And and I've known people above and below him to to be able to do that, and and that's the important thing, you know even yeah. below him even even people that don't have that level of recognition or the credentials or whatever be, below someone like dan jones can have that knowledge can bring that knowledge to you or, or to anyone mm. else so it's you know it's important that if you are considering even engaging with this subject you know don't don't be put off by whatever is it that you learned on your gccs or your a levels mm -hmm. which like we said is probably just gonna be the nazis or the tutors yeah. and just you know be be adventurous, be be curious, and and try to engage with things that matter to you, right? Yeah. Because if if you can engage with a subject from your current perspective now, um, and and make it relevant, and and give it a, a space and a voice, then that's all you need. The the fact that there is no historical bias is is the biggest lie that we've ever been told <laughs> from the moment we set a, a foot on university. I believe you know there is always a historical bias. You can't remove it. You can try and push it away, but you have a bias. History teacher. Have... Yeah. History teacher, the skills that we teach you, if you're in school, the skills that we teach you in school, uh, GCSE or A-level or whatever school level you're at or whatever school system you're in, skills are really highly valued in regardless of, of what course you take on at university or even if you don't go to university, the skills are so highly rated that you can be moulded and into well not change molded into an expert in whatever you do so i think history gives you the best skills uh, yeah 
of all the worlds really except maths when none of us are very good at that to be quite honest <laughs> well, yeah i'm no. terrible <laughs> no but it, you know it's it is valuable now on on that front and as we need to wrap things up and as we are hopefully encouraging everyone out there to actually go and, and look at not just totalitarianism but but stuff that's happening in the world now um to to wrap things up and, and to tell us where where you think the field needs to go on you know that sort of stuff giving a platform for potentially a, a future um jackson jackson apprentice um to to come on and do their thing what uh what what would you say could be some some areas for anyone who wants to get into this field or or some key sources that they need to master so then they can move the scholarship forward or, or make it their own interested um and not be afraid firstly um the stuff that you come across is really quite dark and really really quite horrible in some senses don't be afraid to just stick within the barriers of Stalin and, and Hitler we'll find so much more interesting stuff outside mm. so much stuff out there that's really interesting um so I, I'd say just just be passionate don't be afraid and go for it is that that's how that's the best way to push the scholarship in this area and mm. in terms of in terms of books because you know I like recommending a couple of books intro i'd say how to be a dick oh, it's called something else now uh dictators i think it is by frank dakota uh, i think that's a fantastic book to kind of introduce yourself to it uh maybe Dave, D david d roberts totalitarianism um, and then if you want something a little bit more scholarly carl j friedrichson's a big new k brzezinski's totalitarian dictatorship and autocracy because they kind of they kind of show you all the key concepts and the best way to move in totalitarianism because um, that's what I did. I looked at the, the five categories, moved on to six um, theory uh, in the conference and fell in love with it and then just did it as bones and then added to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that's that's the best way to push the scholarship forward, really. Yeah. Cool. No, that is, you know, it's a very sensible approach. I think you, you can probably say that about um, many fields in, in history at, at present. So if, if that resonates with you, you know, it's, it's not just totalitarianism. We, we need you overall. <laughs> but, you know, that's that is that is very, very insightful. And hopefully you guys have been have been moved to to take action and, and actually dig in and not let this, um, you know, get uh, stale, which is the, the biggest mistake we can do as as historians so there you go more well, than i'm more than happy to people for mess uh, to message me in questions as well i'm very i'm very open i like chat chatting to people obviously fantastic <laughs> yeah yeah and i think you know that's that's important don't don't be afraid of asking um, most, most of us out there um are happy to talk about this stuff uh so yeah just 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 go on and talk to people and you you will find some fascinating stuff in the process mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, definitely a, a very different sort of topic for our, our podcast it's been, but definitely an important one. Um, thanks, uh, Jackson, for joining us for the second attempt, which I think yes. probably came out a bit better this time. So I always enjoy myself. I had more time for that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll say goodbye there. Thank you, everyone. Have a lovely evening. Bye.